0: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to worship on this beautiful six degrees below zero day. Today is the fifth Sunday in the season of Epiphany, and as we see in the season of Epiphany, Jesus reveals his glory, and today he continues to do so both in his miracles and in his preaching. We'll look at that a little bit more closely in our sermon today on the Gospel of Mark. And the other readings kind of allude to that fact with some very practical applications for you and me. Our opening hymn will be number 238, and then we'll continue the very first portion of the Red Hymnal on page 15. God bless your worship. Continue the front part of your red hymnal on page 15. Please rise. And we begin today, as always, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Be loved in the Lord. Let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins to God our Father, asking Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Holy
1: and merciful Father, I confess that I am by nature sinful and that I have disobeyed you in my
0: thoughts, words, and actions. I have done what is evil and failed to do what is good. For this I deserve your
1: punishment. Both now and in eternity. But I am truly sorry for my sins,
0: and trusting in my Savior Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, have
1: mercy on me, a sinner.
0: has given his only Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ, and by his authority, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In the
1: peace of forgiveness, let us praise the Lord.
0: Son, as the word of life for our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Help us to believe what the Scriptures proclaim about Him, and do the things that are pleasing in your sight, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. the Old Testament book of Second Kings, chapter 5, we see that God's visible power over sickness foreshadows the invisible power of the gospel. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come up to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and far the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then, when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to turn to our psalm for today, Psalm 103 as found on on page one hundred five, the very front portion of your red paper. Our second reading comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. We see that God makes eternally good and blessed use of all things in the lives of his elect. Paul writes We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Because those God who are new, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Our theme verse is printed for you there. Alleluia. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Hallelujah. Please rise for the reading of our gospel. Our gospel reading from Mark chapter one. Christ reveals his glory through miracles, and those miracles reveal a greater truth. Alleluia. James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed sick with a fever. Without delay, they told Jesus about her. He went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening, when the sun had set, the people kept bringing to him all who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. He healed many people who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. But he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Jesus got up early in the morning while it was still dark and went out. He withdrew to a solitary place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He told them, Let's go somewhere else to the neighboring villages so that I can preach there too. In fact, that is why I have come. Then he went throughout the whole region of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving
1: out demons. This is the Gospel of our Lord Jesus. You may be seated for our next stamp, number 93.
0: Dear fellow redeemed. Expectation and reality. Expectation and reality. Naaman hears that there's a prophet in Israel that somehow, someone, somewhere will be able to cure the incurable. And so he goes. The writer records for us, Naaman was a great man, but he had leprosy. And so this great man goes to the land of Israel seeking out the cure that he hears and that he knows is somewhere there expectation and reality he goes to the king sends a letter please heal me the king says I I can't do that and so the king sends him to the prophet expectation and reality maybe he'll come out wave his hand over the spot and it will be gone just like that But what did the prophet do instead? Go wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times. He didn't even come out and say it himself. The expectation of healing was certainly met. But the reality of how God did it was not up to expectation. Expectation and reality. The man that Jesus had just healed that very morning that Sabbath day, that Saturday morning, when the whole town of Capernaum had gathered at the synagogue, the man with the shriveled hand, and Jesus heals him. The expectation, perhaps, that whether he had been born that way or perhaps had been injured in some accident, the expectation that maybe now, maybe now God didn't care about him quite as much. Maybe now he should move back a little bit. Maybe now, maybe now, his standing and his status was somehow on God's bad side. in the expectation of those who looked at him perhaps with pity, but perhaps also with their own sense of self-righteousness. Thank God that I'm not like that. What did he do to deserve that? The sinful heart certainly knows how to accuse and launch launch every volley of bad expectation. You might think, for example, Jesus in the Gospel of John and the man born blind, and his disciples say, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born this way? Expectation, reality. Without a, a clear word from God, our conscience attacks from one side. Satan tempts in that same direction to say, Dear Christian, how can you be sure that God looks on you with favor? And dear Christian, if God really does look with you, look on favor, look on you with favor, there we go, then certainly you wouldn't be suffering this way, or certainly, certainly He would heal you. The expectation is the reality. The expectation that somehow God maybe is the slightest bit unfair, or that somehow maybe my conscience is right that God has forgotten about me, or God has it out for me. And the conscience keeps on accusing. Yes, it says, you know you are a sinful person. Yes, it says. The works that you have done are not enough to work your way into God's presence. So what and where and how shall we find the reality? Jesus shows us. Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 8. That God promises to work in all things for the good of those who love him. But even there, even there that little voice of conscience and doubt speaks up. But... Do I love God enough? Because if I did, would I have to would I have to budget so tightly? Would I have to worry about my health? Would I have to fill in the blank? Would I have to struggle with whatever it is that happens to be going on in my life today? Would I really feel this doubt and this guilty conscience? And would I really have to, you know, bear the scorn of the world for being a Christian? Because if God is really God, then why does He let, and sometimes it even seems, why does God even send suffering, particular suffering, on His Christians? At every point, the doubt rears its head, the conscience accused, Satan tempts, give up! Give up! You can't fix it yourself. Look at the people that, that come to the, the door of Simon Peter. They come to him in droves that evening, because that morning they had heard, and they had seen the power that Jesus had to, to fix every ailment. They bring the demon-possessed and the sick, and Jesus had healed another sick person in the intervening time, Simon Peter's wife's mother, and the people say to themselves, surely this is the prophet who can heal us. Expectation. This is a guy like Elisha who will be able to heal us and provide for us. And we won't have a whole lot to worry about anymore. The reality. Jesus spends the whole rest of that night healing people, driving out demons, addressing the... the Pain of conscience, as well as the pain of body, and the pain of demon possession, driving out demons left and right, and you might expect that he would set up camp right there. Maybe, Maybe they would build a new temple. Maybe that he would advertise throughout Galilee, so that people would come to him for healing, and that he would be able to preach to them there, but he says... He goes off and prays, and he says, the very next morning, we've got to move on to the next village. The expectation that if Jesus really cared about me, then he would heal me, he would fix my problem, the blank. And all of a sudden, the account of demon possession and the account of Peter's mother-in-law, whose very high fever was fixed like that, well, we can kind of sympathize. Think of your own expectations for Jesus. That if I put in the time to, to go to church and to read my scripture, then surely, then surely God will rearrange my life a little bit more, a little bit better that if i spend my time in service to the lord then you know somehow he's going to pay me back with a life of ease or at least lighten the burden that seems to that seems to press so heavily that now that i'm a christian and i know i've forgiven i'll never have to feel the pang of conscience and the burden of guilt again and i'll never have to even think about or even even feel any twinge of regret over the sin in my previous life. The reality that you and I know far too well, that when our conscience speaks, very often it does speak the truth, that we are sinful people. The reality that God is holy God and that we cannot approach Him. The reality that nothing we have done or ever could do should bring us into God's loving presence. And we risk missing Jesus entirely if we extrapolate from there, looking at the reality of our lives, the reality of what we know from God's law and what we feel from the conscience. And we extrapolate from there to say, because I do not have, this is proof that God does not. Right. The very next morning, Jesus gets up, and instead of hanging out the sign, and and telling his disciples, well, you know, you've got got half a day to hit all the villages around here, and, and tell them to come here. Here they will find healing, and then I'll preach to them once you've got them all gathered into one place. Instead of doing that, this is what Jesus says. His disciples come running. Everyone is looking for you. You know, the sun is barely up. It's like, you know, 5.15, toddler time in the morning. The sun is barely up. They come running. Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus says, let us go somewhere else to the neighboring villages so that I can preach there too. In fact, that is why I have come. Right there. There's this distance between us and them. And the assumption that that God doesn't know about your life. Or that if Jesus were here, then He would heal everything with a snap of His fingers, and that it's our misfortune to have been born at the wrong time in the world's history. And that somehow, some way, our Lord has has left us living here toward the end of the New Testament era. He has left us without the healing touch of our Savior. And that perhaps even... He's been unjust to us in blessing them more. I mean, Simon Peter's mother-in-law didn't even have to call into the doctor. The doctor came to her. What does Jesus say? That is why I have come. The reason he came was to preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins. The reason he came was to was to be the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. The reason He came as, yes, the physical Son of Mary and at the same time the incarnate in the flesh Son of God. The reason He came was to die for sin. To really hit the bigger problem of our standing with God. Not our perception based on the realities of our life. But our actual standing with God. That we had been counted as guilty in God's court, and Jesus said, step aside, count me as guilty in their place, to win the forgiveness of sins, and he came to preach that fact. And you notice, you see, that the very same Jesus who preached that fact, considered that to be of even greater worth and importance than healing the sick and driving out demons, because you heal somebody who is sick They'll get sick again later. You raise somebody up who had been sick, or you cure somebody who has leprosy, they'll eventually die. He even raised the dead. Lazarus had been in the tomb for three days. Three days, and his sister's like, Lord, are you sure you want to open that? Because, you know, this thing about the smell. Jesus says, open it, and raise Lazarus from the dead. But Lazarus died again later too. And what would the benefit have been? if Jesus simply set up shop in Capernaum where we could go and hop on a plane and visit him today to cure whatever ill we needed. So what if, if the Son of God had not paid for our sin? Our perception, even perhaps based on the healing that we would have received, our perception would have been, well, God thinks highly of me. But the reason... Dear Christian, that God speaks highly of you and thinks highly of you is the sake of His Son, who washed away your sin, perception, and reality. Right? And so when we look at our lives, the big thing that Jesus really reaffirms for us is that you cannot you cannot discern your standing in God's court as guilty or not, based on how you feel about it or based on the events that unfolded in your own personal history, or based on your incomplete ledger of good works that you might offer to God. Absolutely not. None of those things would ever measure up to God's holy law. But your standing in God's court is based on the perfect record of His Son. And the record of His Son as the absolute declaration of forgiveness for all people is so absolutely rock-sure and solid and signed in the blood of the Son of God that no matter what happens in your life, no matter what you seem to perceive from from the pain or the joy of your life, God loves you because He has forgiven your sin. And even if, and especially when, the worst thing in this life will take your most treasured possession from you or eventually take your own breath from your lungs even when, even when that day comes. Jesus has promised that he has and will undo that greatest of evil. That is why I have come, he says, to die for sin and to rise. You see, the proclamation that he had to do was really no different from the healing that he already did. And mentally we kind of we kind of separate those two things. Well, Jesus is healing so that so that people will come listen to him and Jesus is healing and I wish Jesus were heard here to heal me. But those two things are part and parcel of <laughs> the same idea. That as Jesus drove out demons and healed the sick, he also Proclaimed who he was and what he would do as the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for the sin of the world, and as G- Jesus drove out demons, that was just you know the foreshadowing of his triumphant march through hell after rising from the dead. You know we talked about this in um, cap class probably two weeks ago. You can catch it on our podcast. There's a little bit extended discussion on the whole descent into hell, and about the best way to put it is it's it's one thing for the people in New York at the end of World War II to be partying with a ticker tape parade that they had won. And it's another thing entirely for General MacArthur to walk peacefully through the streets of Tokyo. Right? That's the victory. And that is the completeness of what Jesus has done in dying and rising from the dead. And Paul puts it this way. Because of this fact, the resurrection of the dead, we Christians can be confident that God will use all things for your eternal good. We know that in all things that all things work together for the good of those who love God. and the, the impetus, the, the weight of that sentence doesn't sit on you in the amount of your love for God. Because he goes on. For those who are called, according to his purpose, because those God foreknew and predestined, da, da 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 he justified. In other words, the fact that you know what God thinks of you, that he loves you, that he's prepared a place for you in heaven, that he has promised to raise the dead at the end of time, and promised you an eternal life with him, that your conscience in his court is absolutely clean, that fact is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and is found here in the preaching of our Savior. The preaching that he does. The preaching, and yes, the healing, that he still does. Because the Jesus who stood there in the living room or in the kitchen of Simon Peter's house as as his mother-in-law started begging for this incredible crowd that would be coming. The Jesus who sat there is the Jesus who is still with us today, exactly as he promised. The Jesus who sat there is the Jesus who still makes himself known in the preaching and the, the word of God, and is still present in body and blood in the Lord's Supper. So you see, here at the end of time, here at the, the end of the New Testament era, the expectation that God will perhaps deal with us in some extravagant fashion, or in some way He will make Himself known so that, so that we will really know where we stand, or in some way God will heal us exactly according to our expectation. Well, the reality is that sometimes He doesn't. But the reality that goes hand in hand with us with that truth is that God promises that He will. He's proclaimed that in His Word. He's explained it for us here in Romans chapter 8. Right. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God that goes beyond all and understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I invite you to turn to page 31 in the very front portion of your red hymnal, and on page 31 you will find our Confession of Faith, the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed. You may be seated as we worship the Lord with our offering. After a brief prayer for all who are sick, um, including Heidi Moss, who was recently diagnosed with skin cancer, we will continue on page 20 and 21. We pray. O Lord, you are the great physician of soul and body. You chasten and you heal. We pray especially that you would look with mercy on Heidi Moss and her illness, and we ask that you also watch over and bless and heal those who are suffering under the recent influenza. We ask that you spare their lives, restore their strength. You gave your son to bear our infirmities and sicknesses. We ask you to deal compassionately with your servants, and bless all the medical means employed on behalf of those who are sick. Bless these means with your healing power. We commit all these people to your gracious mercy and protection, and we know that you are confidently listening to us because you have won our forgiveness through your Son. And we also turn to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we
1: forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
0: We continue on page 21 in the front portion of your red novel The Lord be with you.
1: Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly good and right that we should at all times and in all
0: places give you thanks, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lived among us as a human being. And revealed his glory as your only Son, full of grace and truth. Therefore, with all the saints on earth and hosts of heaven, we
1: praise your holy name and join their glorious song.
0: disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. I invite you to return to page 24 in the front part of your red hymnal. And on page 24, you'll find the Song of Singing. Please rise. that you have refreshed us with this Holy Supper. We pray that through it, you will strengthen our faith in you and increase our love for one another. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his piece. Good morning once again. A special welcome to the guests worshiping with us. Um, the notes are listed for you there at the bottom of page 6. Um, we don't have Bible class today, as you probably read in our email. We'll be having our annual meeting. Um, that'll be after after worship here. Um, and then the other note, Ash Wednesday is February 14th, and there's a sign-up at the back lectern for those who would like to help prepare a meal. Um, I think the 14th is still open. Check it out. And bowling will be in the messenger this week and the bulletin next week. That's on uh, for everything 25th. Also, back by. God bless you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Green Pastures with Jesus, the audio home of Shepherd of the Lakes Lutheran Church of Fairmont, Minnesota. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our website, www.shepherdofthelakes.net. Pass that along to your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our archives section at our website for previous podcasts. You can find us 9.30 a.m. Sunday mornings at 323 East 1st Street in Fairmont, just up the hill from Richard's Towing. Any questions, contact me, Pastor Hagen, 507-236-9572. God bless your day.